From Relay FM, this is Flashback. This season, we're looking back through technology history to better understand the trends we see today. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Quinn Nelson. Uh, thank you, Stephen. How's it going? It's good. Uh, people uh, may be sad to know this is our, our third attempt at recording the beginning of the show. As far as I'm concerned, it's the first. Quit making <laughs> things up. <laughs> yeah, so we are back, and we've got a topic today that I'm really excited about. It's one of those products that we're thinking about season two. It was on my short list because it was ahead of its time, yet murdered very quickly. It was. And this was one of the things that was dearest to my heart for a long time, in fact. This was my very first phone ever. I was going to ask you that, because you're a little bit younger than me. Uh, a little. That's generous. Generous to me or you? Uh, to you. <laughs> <laughs> you're many years younger than me. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, I have all these comments in here, like, this phone came out in my second year of college. Like, Quinn's <laughs> like, I was six. Okay, so we are talking about the Moto Razor. It's exciting stuff. Yeah. I'm excited. The Moto Razor was a very big deal. It it really, really was. It was, and the reason we picked it, it was really one of the first phones that were cool. Yeah. Yeah. Is that fair? Did it make you cool? I didn't have one. My roommate had one and he was cool. Then it was cool. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> well, here's the thing about the Moto Razor. It, uh, it kind of began a little bit in secret. Um, which is funny because we always associate Apple and secrecy together. It feels like they're the only ones that can ever surprise us at a keynote. Now it's becoming less and less common, but everyone else, no matter what the announcement, like we have full renders of the phone or whatever it is before that the thing comes out. But Motorola wanted to take a little tip from, uh, from Apple's pocket. Yeah. You know, uh, at Apple, if you get called to work on like a secret project, you just disappear and some of that sort of happened at, uh, at at Motorola. So we're gonna wind back the clock to 2003. It was my junior year of high school, and we all had Nokia candy bar phones, right? Mm. Plastic candy bar phones. Right. You could change mm-hmm. out the plastic faceplates. We were all playing Snake during class. Still, the all-time greatest mobile game of all time. And uh, these phones were just everywhere. Like, we all had them. Everyone had them. And Motorola was really struggling. I got a question for you. You said in 2003, you were in high school, correct? Yeah. Okay. How many kids would you estimate had phones? Like, what percentage of, of kids had phones? Was it pretty common? It was pretty common. I think, like a lot of my friends, I got one just when I was started to drive. And so, okay. you know, my parents want to make sure that I got places, you know, it's like, you know, you get to the store, you yeah, call sure. your mom, tell her you didn't get hit yeah. by a train. So yeah. uh, I think that was the impetus of it, because really, I, I think people even who were in high school a few years before me probably missed this. I bet I would right. imagine I'm kind of the age of the first time it was really much more common. Okay. It's my guess. So they were becoming more ubiquitous. Obviously, Nokia was the name in cell phones. And Motorola really kind of wasn't there. The the reality was they had a bunch of different businesses, and some of them were doing well, but its cell phone division was in the dumps. And it's kind of ironic because Motorola was the one that kind of popularized the whole segment with uh, devices like the StarTac and a couple of their other early smartphones. Um, I know they had a lot of prominence in the in the pager industry, mm-hmm. but they really just kind of lost a lot of ground in the the late nineties, early two thousands, and were no longer a, a really big player. 
to to tell what a different era this was, you definitely said smartphones. I didn't catch it at first. Oh, did I? <laughs> not smartphones. <laughs> not even feature well, phones, really. Well, in they the were, early, they in were the smart days. for the time, I guess. I guess. I mean, I could play Snake, and like a friend of mine had a Nokia yeah. that had LEDs in the side of it, so when it rang, it was like a party. It was awesome. There you go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so so Motorola wants to get back in the game, and uh, and they turn to this uh, veteran employee named Roger J- Jellico. That's what I'm going to go with. Yeah, I like that. That may not be right. Um, he was a Motorola veteran, and basically he was tired of Nokia guys beating him up and taking his lunch money, and so he found himself in charge of a secret project to engineer. A phone. There was this engineering like design concept, and it was his job to turn it from a paper drawing to a shipping product. The instructions were clear. Make the world's thinnest phone and do it within 12 months. Oh, that's always easy. See, the reality was this, this sounds like a, a pretty difficult task, and I think it was. I, it was never really Motorola's intentions to make this something for the masses, rather to make something beautiful and super high-end, kind of like a, well, like a Halo product, like a really high-end, low-production supercar or something like that. Um, and work quickly began at Motorola's offices uh, an hour north of Chicago. Angelico had what was pretty much a blank check uh, to build the phone, which comes in handy, but it had to remain a secret, like a, a really, really big secret. And so hardcore rules were put in place to avoid leaks. Very Apple-esque. And, uh, well, probably worked out for the best, didn't it? It did. Uh, so they hire this industrial designer named Chris Arnholt. Uh, they joined the team, and they spend months like shaping and reshaping the folding phone's clamshell design. And from reading this Fortune article, I actually mean shaping and reshaping, like clay models and plastic models. And this is before 3D printing and a lot of the the faster techniques we have today. And so they just spent months figuring out the shape, how it was going to go together. And by the fall of 2003, the phone's design was beginning to become more clear. You know, they had this engineering concept, but the design of how it was actually going to work was finally slowly coming together. Yeah, and this thing was really it was it's honestly a, it, it's still it's a very handsome product, but for the time it was an astonishing feat of engineering and design. It hit this remarkable thinness of just 13.9 millimeters. And some unusual engineering had to be done um, to make that form factor work. Uh, famously, they kind of moved the internal cell antenna to where the mouth's, the, where the phone's mouthpiece was, kind of that bottom chin that the devices had. And then they put the battery right next to the phone's circuit board, which made the phone four millimeters wider than the company's original specification had called for. But they did make a really thin form factor kind of work out. Um, not quite as thin as, uh, as they had intended. The original spec called for the phone to be 10 millimeters and they were at just under 14, but, uh, Arnhold and Jellico decided that ignoring those numbers would be fine. And, uh, you know what? I, I think it worked out pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They missed this target, but it was still incredible, right? Like nothing was close to this really. It was incredibly light. If you pick one of these up, I think that's the first thing that will hit you. Uh, weighing in at 95 grams or about three and a third ounces. Uh, the iPhone 12 mini weighs 135 grams. So, you know, shave out, I guess, what is that, a third of an iPhone 12 mini? Yeah, a lot. Just scoop it out of there with like an ice cream scooper. Just get rid of it. Just get rid of it. You don't need Just it. Just delete it. 
Yeah. <laughs> so the team developed this phone pretty quickly, but they did miss their 12-month deadline that they had put in place. Not a big deal, though. The phone was ready by the summer of 2004. And it was first shown at an art event for design-minded journalists uh, held at Copenhagen's uh, Arken Museum of Modern Art. And then it was launched more widely at a presentation for Motorola's annual financing meeting in July of later that year. And the new phone, ooh, it was a hit. I like how different those two events seem to me. Yeah, I right, can't think of anything right. more boring and like <laughs> bland than the annual financial meeting. Mm-hmm. But then like you're in the Copenhagen Museum of Modern Art. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, it is so funny to me. You got to hit both crowds. Got to hit both crowds. Hey, you know what? Maybe that's why the kin failed. They just had the cool event. They didn't have the professional business one. Yeah, that's right. See that? That's what us in the in the YouTube industry refer to as a callback. Ooh. And now you got to go listen to that episode if you haven't heard it. Oh, you're so good. A little iCard up in the corner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you point to the wrong corner because you're not used to where it goes. That's right. Oh, I still do that. I don't ever point because I don't know. It's like, I don't know. It's mm. coming up somewhere. <laughs> it's so interesting reading about this because the rollout is so different from how phones are today. Yeah. It first shipped in Asia and then with singular wireless uh, here in the U.S., And even at this stage, it was positioned as like this high-end specialty product, but people were into it. And in the fourth quarter of 2004, out of the 29 million handsets that Motorola shipped, the Razer accounted for an impressive, though hardly not astronomical, 750,000. So not a huge number, but for a phone that was supposed to be a Halo device and like, oh, I can't get that one, but I'll get another Motorola phone. My guess is this exceeded their expectations. Yeah, and they, and they kind of repositioned it, as we'll learn. They they decided pretty quickly, hey, you know what, we, we need to push this thing out to the masses. And the company projected that it would sell 50 million <laughs> whoa, uh, by May 2006, so less within two years, which is a shocking number of units. That's so many phones. <laughs> yeah, crazy. <laughs> uh, so so like I said, I was in college during uh, during its sort of takeover of the phone market. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of a sudden, a ton of people had the Razor, including my roommate in the dorm. It was an amazing piece of technology. Both uh, both Joe and I, his name was Joe, te- or tech people, right? Like, we both had power books. We both had iPods. He had an iPod photo, and I didn't, and I was jealous because he had the photo. Oh, yeah. But he got the Razor, and I'm telling you, at the time, it felt like I would feel a few years later holding the first iPhone. It's like, this doesn't seem like it's possible. And it made my, you know, Nokia candy bar phone from high school just look ancient. However, Joe later smashed his razor playing Ultimate Frisbee. So maybe I won. I don't know. I still feel bad for him. Yeah, I think you did. <laughs> yeah, it really was. It wasn't even just the form factor. I mean, it was the display that was huge inside the inside the main screen. It had two screens, which was not entirely uncommon in the candy bar form factor, but the display on the outside was actually like a decent display. It wasn't a crappy monochrome LCD. It was a, it was a full-fledged, legitimate color display. It was a neat phone. Anyway, okay, so naming was confusing. Mm-hmm. The first Razer was dubbed V3. Why? Why is the first one named V3? (laughs) (laughs) Well, allegedly, it was due to uh, Motorola's internal naming system, a a pretty ridiculous naming system, if I do say so. Interesting that they only made two versions before it, though. Uh, Hmm. Lightning strikes thrice, they say. Um, But it was marketed as the Razor, in all caps, uh, borrowed from the codename Razor Clam. Now, get this. 
Jellico wanted to call it Siliqua Patula, which is razor clam in Latin. Do you like my Latin pronunciation? That was really good. I don't know if it's accurate, but it sounded good. No, I don't know. It sounds good, right? Uh, how would have that been? The That's a Motorola terrible name. Siliqua Patula. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been awful. I'm glad the marketing people were in charge of that final decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Razor was the way to go. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the hardware. What, what do we have here, Stephen? Yeah, so like you said, it's clamshell. There's a display on the inside and the outside. Uh, I think what most people uh, remember is the the keypad, which we'll get to in a second. That's sort of the iconic image for me. It was carved out of a single piece of metal. So you didn't have these individual squishy rubber keys. It was like a metal plate and it sort of indented and it was all backlit and blue. It looked super cool, super futuristic. And uh, as far as IO, it had uh, mini USB for data charging and audio out. So ahead of its time there as well, USB for everything. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, though, uh, come on. Everyone had an iPod, so who really cares? Yeah, yeah. Everyone who had one of these had an iPod. Like, that's a Venn diagram that is a circle, I think. (laughs) (laughs) So the small external screen was glass-covered. And so when the clamshell was closed, I'm doing this like a hand motion. I'm closing my hand like a phone. Just I don't need you to know that I'm doing that. Okay. Okay. Uh, It would show you uh, a wallpaper. It would show you the time and things like the service status. So, you know, you got three bars of Verizon or whatever. Mm, of uh, course. It served up caller ID when the phone was ringing. So you didn't have to open the phone to see who was calling. Uh, you know, it was a little chunky. It was only 96 by 80 pixels, but it was clearer than a lot of regular screens on regular phones. And because it was color, like my Nokia I had at this time wasn't color. It it was like grayscale. It was like an iPod screen. Like it, it wasn't e-ink, but it looked like e-ink. So for this to have like a, you know, your phone's vibrating and a color screen lighting up, it was really eye-catching. It really was. And the the internal screen, as you mentioned, not only did it, you know, look big, um, but it had a fairly sizable resolution for the time too at 176 by 220 pixels. Um, now, there were complaints that the screen was a little bit dim. Um, I don't ever remember thinking this about my own, but maybe, you know, it's been just that I, I have romanticized this device over so many years. But uh, apparently when viewed in direct sunlight, it wasn't ideal. Yeah, I remember I remember that. Um, I had a later Motorola flip phone. This is, you know, its model name is some number. Mm-hmm. But even then, a couple years later, it... Yeah, it's like, it's just kind of dim backlight technology at this point. Yeah, and I what phones were really all that spectacular? I, so I moved from a Razer, I kind of went back in time. I moved from a Razer to a uh, Nokia 6820, which had come out a couple of years before the Razer. Um, and it was that we had moved to AT&T because my dad wanted an iPhone at the time and uh, didn't want to go out and spend a bunch of money on on-contract devices. And so I remember getting this this Nokia, and it had this little tiny, uh, more classic LCD with, I don't even want to say that it was a backlight. It might have been a front light. But I remember thinking that the display was such a huge downgrade from uh, from my Razer that at the time I thought was pretty exceptional. But in any case, it was it was big. It was 2.2 inches, which was nice. And while perhaps not the dimmest, it was very colorful and it was much larger than what you'd find on competing screens. The uh, the camera was uh, VGA. 
So you're getting images at 0.3 megapixels. Uh, mm. Pretty, I think, pretty common in the time, right? This was, really was. well before yeah. smartphones got to be real with good cameras and stuff. Not fantastic, though. It did have a cool trick because you have a folding phone. It's what we call them now, but because you have a clamshell phone, you could take a selfie using the outer screen as a viewfinder. Pretty cool. It was pretty handy. Yeah. It, now, it wasn't cool. in vogue. You'd still want to hold your phone up in front of the mirror and take a picture. Yes. But one could, one could do that in theory, I guess. While looking sad, which is how all of mine <laughs> look from this era. Yeah, emo was a thing. Yeah, yes, it certainly was. It ran this custom Motorola OS that was on all of their phones at the time. Yeah. Based on Java, you know, the most performant way to build an operating system. <laughs> And uh, you had a menu system, navigated with the phone's D-pad. Uh, it had Bluetooth, so you could sync your contacts over. I remember it being a big deal when Mac OS X got iSync, and you could, like, sync phone numbers to your phone. That was a, that was a big deal. Mm. Oh, that's right. That's right. And, of course, you could use that shiny metal keyboard to send SMS messages using the T9 text input, which I guess I'm probably pretty... St- still pretty good at. I bet that's still buried in my muscle memory somewhere. It is. And I can guarantee it because I did it on a T9 phone. What phone was? Oh, you know what? It was the, (laughs) it was the, um, Moto Razor or a spoiler alert. The one that came out last year, we're going to talk about in a bit. They have this little mode where you can flip it into the old school Razor mode with the T9 keypad. And even though I wasn't actually physically pushing buttons and I was using it on a touchscreen, I could still type pretty quickly. Now, came, I wouldn't back. take it over a QWERTY <laughs> keyboard, but yeah, it, it came back. It worked out. So as we mentioned, the, the Motorola Razor V3, aka the Razor, was a <laughs> huge hit. It's thin aluminum body made it look more expensive than it was, and the phone became a fashion accessory pretty quickly. Um, and, and Motorola capitalized on this by making a number of finishes and colors offered. Uh, all in all, Motorola sold 130 million V3 phones, which Ooh. is bananas. And uh, it actually still holds the record for the best-selling clamshell phone of all time. So many phones, especially think yeah. about the era. Oh, Man. crazy. Yeah. So what we're saying is if you're in the Z Flip gang, LOL, got nothing on this phone. Steven, you better watch your mouth. You better watch your mouth. I'm in the Z Flip gang. Oh, I know. Me, Mike, and Austin will all come after you. <laughs> so Motorola spent the next several years tweaking the phone, introducing it on new carriers and in new countries. And very often they would do this and mark it with a new color on the outside of the phone. So mm-hmm. in October 2005, there was a pink version uh, internationally. And then in June, the next summer, it was available in the U.S. on T-Mobile. Uh, a CDMA version was introduced as the MS500 in South Korea and came in a range of colors, including black, pink, and even a bright lime green, which is mm. fun. Beautiful. And then uh, there was the updated v 3 RE, which came in a softer pink and a new stone gray. That phone had been updated to use the then new Edge network standard. Mm, blistering fast speeds on that that Edge network. Edge was, uh, <laughs> no, it wasn't very good. Eh, well, you know, for the time. There were other models, of course, that came out as well. Uh, most notably, and this is kind of the first major revision, the V3i 
which came out in the fall of 2005, and it sported a better camera, improved displays on both the front and the inside, uh, support for expandable storage, which is pretty nice, and even syncing with iTunes. <laughs> that was kind of based on the tragedy that, a tragedy that was the Motorola Rocker. And so, you know what? I guess there was something good that came out of the Rocker. The Rocker was not it, but Mm-mm. it tried. If you guys won an episode about the Rocker, let, let us know, because I am there. <laughs> I have one sitting inside of a drawer five feet away from me. Oh, okay. We're doing it. We're going to do it. Mm. Mm-hmm. That phone came in a bunch of colors, if you're ready for this. Silver, gray, I don't know the difference between those two. Even as an Apple user, it's hard to tell. (laughs) Well, it depends on the year. (laughs) (laughs) Dark blue, maroon, violet, black, which is darker than gray. Hmm. Red, purple, which is not maroon or violet. And then both a light and a dark green. There was even a limited edition gold model. Oh, fancy. And look, there are even more models of the V3, but they're mostly for various carrier-specific features or colors, um, one of which is the Verizon V3M, which, Stephen, you apparently had for a little bit? Yeah, so I tr- a couple of times after the iPhone had come out, I was like, maybe I can go back to a dumb phone for a little while. And one of those attempts was a Verizon V3M that I got on eBay. Actually, I got two of them, hmm. and uh, one of them worked, and I stole the battery out of the other one. <laughs> How'd that work out for you? I had to run Leopard on a G5 so I could sync my contacts to it <laughs> with iSync. <laughs> well, there you have it. There you have it. This is in like 2010, 2011. It wasn't great. Yikes. <laughs> uh, yeah, one of the other things that was problematic with it is that it ran um, a custom skin of Motorola's OS that was for Verizon Wireless, and it was pretty junky looking. It Functionally, it was mostly the same, but it had like the Verizon logo everywhere and their red color scheme. I remember this because that was uh, a present on the phone that I had. I got my first phone in, like I mentioned before, seventh grade, and so that would have been late 2005. The model I had was a carrier-specific version called the V3C. Now, without looking, Stephen, can you guess what the C stood for? Singular? Mm, well, close, but no. <laughs> CDMA. Ah, the opposite of singular. <laughs> I had the, the V3 CDMA with the Verizon skin on it. And uh, you know what? You could even flash um, the the phone to get rid of the carrier's junky look. But I didn't know that until, well, like uh, when we were preparing this dock. And oh, so no. I regret my entire childhood because I suffered through the Verizon wireless skin. It was so aggressive. Everything was rad. It, w- it really was. Yep. Everything yep. had the Verizon logo on it. And they had a bunch of weirdo, like, you know, settings that were locked down because you didn't pay for them and whatever, which you still see with some Android phones. And it's very sad. Um, I'm looking at you, uh, tethering and data anyway. Okay. So that's a lot of phones. Let's take a quick break and uh, talk about Motorola's insistence on ruining the Razer brand. Sounds good to me. This episode of flashback is brought to you by Fortnite from Epic games. If you know anything about Fortnite, you'll know that every season there are some insanely cool story and map changes. Over the past few seasons, we've seen everything from the Island flooding to the legendary black hole. In this season, the zero point has been contained, but reality has collapsed in the process, restoring a natural balance to the island. Craft weapons, hunt wildlife for food, and do everything it takes to survive. Picking up the battle pass lets you run wild with the likes of Laura Croft and Teen Titans Raven. 
Jump into Fortnite now to experience it all, or go check out fn.gg slash season six to learn more. That is fn.gg slash season six, six, the digit, to go see it all. Our thanks to Fortnite for their support of the show and Relay FM. Okay, so they've got this huge hit. They've put it out on a bunch of carriers and they've tweaked it a bunch because it's what you did before the smartphone era. You had a you had one phone slice and dice a hundred different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did they do next? Did they did they do good things or did they do bad things? Obviously, the the V three was the common one. We've talked about that. It's had some derivatives. Um, the first majorly different razor was the V three X Extreme. Well, its similarity to the V3 is pretty much in name only. (laughs) It did have some nice upgrades. It had a higher resolution QVGA display, so 320p, a 2 megapixel camera, which was a major step up from the 0.3 megapixel camera. Yeah. It also had a second internal camera, which was pretty neat, with a manual focus slider. And then it also had a more advanced chipset with NVIDIA GoForce 4200 GPU. Wait, wait. NVIDIA NVIDIA? Mm-hmm. That NVIDIA. And not GeForce. Go Force, because get it? You're on the go, oh. mobile. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, it couldn't run Warren Buffett's Paper uh, Paper Wizard or any other fantastic games like that, but it did have um, the ability to run uh, kind of those Java-based mobile games that yeah. you probably thought of, you know, pretty... It could render 3D models. It was pretty, pretty good. And uh, most notably, it had a 3G radio. Ooh, which is really great. This did, however, come at the expense of design. Uh, I don't know how to, pu- how to put this nicely, but it looks like what you would find on AliExpress when you searched Motorola Razor. <laughs> it looks really, really bad. It's very, very thick, like twice as thick as the original Razor. And it was so it was significantly heavier as well. The camera looked really not well-placed. And the battery life was also allegedly really poor due to that 3G radio, even though the battery was much larger in size and the phone was super chunky. Ugh, yeah. So not so good. Yeah, this phone looks bad. The irony is that it was actually fairly well-reviewed. Well, it's got a manual focus slider. What more do you need? <laughs> it has the little uh, the little flower for macro and then the mountains for landscape, right? Yep. <laughs> Nothing in between. Where do, I, where do I take pictures of people? I don't know. Uh, The Razer Max V6 was released in mid-2007. What other phone was released in mid-2007? Can't think of. Can't put my finger on it. The the Sidekick? No. Hmm. I think some computer company just walked in and made it. Oh, well. It was designed to try to fix some of the V3X's issues. Uh, They returned to the more familiar V3i form factor, so it was thinner again. It added a 3.5G HSDPA radio, and this phone was generally well-received, but not everyone was in love with it. Yeah, there was a bit of a scandal with this phone, turns out. Uh, According to Engadget, the Australian cell phone carrier uh, Telstra went, quote-unquote, all-in on the VMAX. Uh, or excuse me, V6 Max, and they were the first to kind of carry it. But after an alleged flurry of bugs with radio reliability and lack of sales, the carrier started to push the phone out as a prepaid phone for 250 Australian dollars. 
And then apparently that didn't do too well either. And Telstra is alleged to have been stuck with a large amount of unsold inventory that they had to write down losses for. Dang. Um, it did make it to a couple other carriers around the world, including uh, the United States, but it doesn't appear that it was on sale for very long. Finding hardly any information about this phone online is pretty difficult. And so, yeah, it doesn't seem to be a huge success. But that's okay, because Motorola had a really, really good phone in the pipeline to replace it, didn't they? Yes, the Razer 2. This is not the current one. It's not the one you're thinking of. No. <laughs> no, not that one. No, we're still in 2007 here. And you'd think that this name would be reserved for something special. Hmm. Uh, but you'd be wrong. This phone was touted by Motorola as next-gen. It had a oh. new, faster, leaner OS that ran on Linux instead of Java, it offered features like a full HTML browser, two megapixel camera, Windows Media Player Sync, uh, better screen resolution, all while being two millimeters thinner than its predecessor. So this seems this seems pretty good, right? I mean, what what happened to this phone? Well, you see, feature phones were already kind of struggling after the release of the iPhone. Because when the iPhone launched, I think a lot of people viewed it to be a competitor to the fancy pants business phones like BlackBerry and, you know, the Palm Trio, not really something like the Razer or other feature phones. But, you know, it, it did. <laughs> the iPhone ended up being really, really good. And the features that it brought were quickly desired by pretty much everyone. Let's pretend the iPhone doesn't exist for a minute, okay? In a vacuum. The Razer 2 is not a horrible phone, but if you take it out of the vacuum and pretend that the iPhone's not real, it was still too expensive. I think it sold for, I don't want to say a price, but I remember reading that it was shockingly expensive and it was on contract and it offered too little, even when compared to other feature phones of the time, uh, many of which had kind of tried to adopt some of the stuff that the iPhone had introduced. You know, this is, this is late 2007. And so a lot of these phones have touch sensitive areas. They have, you know, a crappy touch screen, but they have a touch screen. And the Razer 2 kind of just, it didn't really know what it wanted to be. And so it just wasn't very good. <laughs> I like how parts of the UI kind of look like old school iPhone OS, like black gloss. Yeah. <laughs> very of its time. But I see here that there was a Razer 3. So this, this fixed it, right? Yeah, well, there wasn't really a Razer 3. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Oh, is this, is this a Palm Pre 3 type deal? Mm, I can't take, it another, is, I can't take for, another one of these. Yeah, you know, it, it's the three. It's number three. Uh, Palm can't do it. Uh, Motorola can't do it. Valve can't do it. So the planned successor to the Razer 2 was the Razer 3. And it was supposed to bring a bunch of truly modern features like an external touchscreen, a five megapixel camera that had autofocus and LED flash. Um, the thing is, it never saw the light of day. This was supposed to come out in like late 2009. So, you know, this is, this, what, this is iPhone 3GS territory. I mean, this is really, really, really late. <laughs> and ignore the fact for a second that the iPhone exists. A lot of really good Android phones are coming out onto the market for much less than the starting price point of the iPhone. You know, I don't really know who they're competing with. And the device was kind of designed for old school feature phone users. 
And it just didn't really work out. And it really ended up never seeing the light of day because UIQ Technology, which was that company that Motorola was licensing their Linux OS from, um, which was based on Symbian, I think, interestingly. Uh, anyway, they filed for bankruptcy. Whoops. And uh, Motorola decided that they were going to go all in on Android anyway. And so they kind of gave up on the idea of feature phones and focused 100% on smartphones, which was probably the right move. I shouldn't say feature phones because they still sold dumb phones. They just didn't want to have these weird hybrid, like this is an expensive phone, but for people who don't want a smartphone, because everybody wanted a smartphone that wanted a moderately intelligent phone at all. Yeah. But it did come out apparently. But uh, difficult to find. (laughs) Yeah. In Korea, it was supposed to come out apparently as the V13. This Wikipedia article says that it was released. You're killing me, Motorola. (laughs) Not V3, V13. They said that it was allegedly released in Korea in November of 2009, but I don't really believe the Wikipedia article because A, it's not cited, which is always a red flag, and then B, I haven't found a single picture of one of these online that's not a render or a phototype. So I'm not even really sure it was ever released, even though it is alleged to have been. I don't know. And the problem is it's hard to search for because all of their names are the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the pre three or the whoa pre three the razor three from when? Ugh. Okay, so the name razor has lived on because yeah. Motorola could not let this go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those that live in the U.S. or follow tech closely may remember a frustratingly named Droid series of smartphones. Oh, dude, is that a Droid? Do you have a dude, Droid? Can a Droid? <laughs> Hey, bro, I don't I don't use an iPhone. I use a Droid. A Droid. People said it. Uh, I had a Droid too. I used a Droid for a while. They still do. Uh, this was basically just a marketing campaign on Verizon's part, and it was a bunch of different phones, including the Motorola Droid, which was very good. Yeah, I mean, we're in the era still where carriers had tons of control and how they're branded, the software they ran. Oh yeah, etc. Uh, so Droid phones were Verizon branded smartphones. They were made by a bunch of different companies, and they were made specifically to sell on Verizon as this brand. And Motorola's looking around and said, hey, we got this name here no one's using. So they introduced, in 2011, the Motorola Droid Razor, Mm. benefiting its heritage. It was launched as the, quote, thinnest smartphone ever at just 7.1 millimeters thick, if you don't measure the camera bump. It was thin, though, because you put in the notes, the iPhone 12 is 7.4 millimeters thick. So this really was thin for the era. I mean, this is 10 years ago. Yeah. No, it was a really thin phone. It did, you know, have a fairly substantial camera hump, as you mentioned. I think it was an extra five millimeters, but that was just at the very top of the phone. Yeah. They're they're leaned away, really. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that wasn't the only thing they did uh, that was different. They had an advertised nano repellent coating that would protect against light splashes of water. It was not IP rated or certified. This was way before then, but it did have kind of an oleophobic coating of sorts to get rid of water should it come in contact with the device. And then it was also well regarded because it had a large 4.3-inch uh, AMOLED display. It had LTE speeds. There were apparently a bevy of really good multimedia features. Uh, the performance was remarkably snappy. One of the things that it was noted for in the review I read was, quote, government-grade security, end quote. What? I don't know what Motorola did to earn that badge of honor, because Android for the era was generally regarded as not that. 
<laughs> but okay. And uh, it had decent battery life as well. It was criticized for its awkwardly large size. This was one of the first like really, really big phones. And it had a pretty lousy 8 megapixel camera. So it's kind of proof that the, the number of megapixels doesn't really matter. And it also had a non-removable battery, which in the Android side of things for that time was fairly unusual and very much not appreciated by that community. So they get the Droid Razor out the door. Yeah. And Motorola's looking around and say, hey, look at this name we have no one's using. Yeah. And so six months later, they introduced the Droid Razor Max, which mm -hmm. is... Basically just the same phone, but with a bigger battery. It, it's literally the same it's phone. It's literally the same phone. Which is kind of weird, because the, the Droid Razor was considered by many to be the best smartphone of 2011, and they kind of just repackaged it with an old processor at this point, and they're like, more battery. Uh, you know, you got it goes with the government-grade security, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There was a little bit of controversy over this phone, so it came uh, with the soon-to-be-outdated version of Android, and it was like, hey, you're going to get ice cream sandwich here real soon. They did get it out uh, after about six months. But this is kind of before everyone knew how bad this was going to be. Yeah. Right? We're like six months now. would be like, that's pretty good, Verizon. But then people, I think, assumed that Android was going to kind of follow the, the iPhone OS model. And that has not been the case, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the, uh, the commercials that they had for these phones? I do. Lots of screaming and robots. Oh, yeah. And, and at the end, they'd go, droid. Droid. <laughs> droid. Droid. They were very, I'm like, pretty sure they were they very had, aggressive. Droid does was their slogan, too. Like, what iPhone doesn't, droid does. Yes. In fact, Great. to this day, hand of my heart, my password for my LTE or, like, 5G tethering on my phone is a variant of droid does. <laughs> Still. Still. Even now. I think the joke is still funny 10 years later. Also, I don't know how to change the setting, but no, <laughs> it's fine. It's buried somewhere in the iPhone settings. Don't worry. That search won't help you find yeah. it. It's useless. So that's the end of the Moto Race. Oh, no, wait. There's another page here in the document. Mm, mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They keep bringing the name back. They do. It's a good one. So why not keep dragging it through the mud? Uh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the, the early Droid Android phones, excuse me, the early Droid Razor Android phones were, were pretty good. And uh, so, you know, it's 2020. It's 2021 now, but it was 2019, 2020. Why not bring the, the name that we all love back f uh, to the future? And, uh, well, they made a foldable, long story short. We've all probably seen it. We all remember it. Uh, the original Galaxy Fold was kind of the first mass market consumer foldable. And then Samsung announced the Galaxy Z Flip around the same time that the Motorola Razr was announced. Um, the Razr was odd. It was really cool, but odd. Um, and I can explain one of the things that I think it did really well and one of the reasons why it's cool, because you're not a um, believer in foldables, and that's fine, heathen. <laughs> <laughs> so this phone, we'll just get it out of the way real quick. It cost $1,500. That is not, not cheap at all. Um, and, and there were a, a number of aspects about this phone that just did not really add up to the price. The camera was fairly mediocre. It used a Snapdragon 710 processor, which at the time was commonly found in like budget phones. So not good. It had tremendously poor battery life, etc. But one of the things it did, it did really, really well. And that was actually its folding screen. So one of the design elements of the Razer that 
I think other companies should copy is its clever hinge mechanism. Uh, typical folding phones, they have like a display crease because the screens can't fold 100% flat, right? And then as they kind of fold, you're stretching the display. And so when they're opened, the display is always just a tiny bit loose, not enough that you can really feel it, but there's a little slack in the display. And then when you go to close the screen, it tightens that up. But the problem is, is that it, you know, can't fold 100% flat and it's folding as tightly as it can. So it kind of kinks the display. And you hear this like, oh, there's creases in the screen. And it really bothers a lot of people who don't own foldables. And I am actually a believer that once you have one and you use one for a couple of days, you forget about the crease. I have a Z Flip. I have a Z Fold 2. The crease really bugs you for like the first day and then whatever. But the Razer had a pretty clever design because the bottom of the display wasn't fixed uh, to the bottom of the phone. And so it could actually slide in and out of it of its bottom enclosure just a little bit. So when you go to close the device, the display would actually pull up from the bottom and that would provide a little bit of extra slack at the fold to create a teardrop rather uh. than like a hard crease, which allows the phone to close 100% flat visually. I mean, it's the screen isn't totally flat, but it looks like it's closed all the way. Whereas something like my Z Flip, they don't quite close and dust and lint and crap can get in there. The, the razor literally folds 100% closed and it looks awesome. There is one slight downside in my opinion, and that is that on the uh, you know the traditional folding phones, the crease is annoying, but it's it's a very tight, obvious crease. Because the razor kind of has this teardrop design, it spreads the crease out over you know, like one or two inches. <laughs> so the whole middle part of your display is a little bit wavy. It's not creased. So if the crease is something you hate, then it's an improvement. But I think the waviness is, is a little more distracting visually than, than the crease. In any case, foldables are young. They're not ready yet. But a lot of people really, really, really love the Razer. Uh, Michael Fisher, Mr. Mobile, is one of them. Um, and, and there are aspects to the Razer that I think are really great. It has a very good external display um, that is a touchscreen. It is Android, obviously. So uh, Motorola has done some work to get a smaller kind of notification-based style version of Android to the front screen. You can't navigate really through the phone as if it were any display, but you wouldn't want to because the display is tiny. But it kind of harkens back to that old original Razer screen that had notifications and a clock and all the stuff you would want to be able to do from the front panel. And it's way better than my Z Flip I have right here, which tells me the time and then the date and battery percentage in probably the smallest uh, little text possible. And then there's a red dot and I can scroll over and if I click a notification, it scrolls out the notification like an old style ticker tape. It's the worst thing ever. <laughs> and the Razer's display is so much better on the outside. So foldables, they're a thing. Uh, you want to hear it? I do. It doesn't, it doesn't sound as good, honestly. It's a little loose nowadays. It's not bad. It's, it's not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Anyway, Motorola Razor. I actually think it's a pretty cool phone, and I hope that Motorola keeps trying because I do think that this form factor makes a lot of sense for a lot of people, and uh, they have a really good variant of it. They just had crappy battery life and a bad price and a bad processor. But other than that, you know. You know, I just think it's so interesting. This brand was so strong that they were able to put it on a whole bunch of phones, most of which have not been 
anywhere close to as good as the original. No. But I don't think it's really damaged the brand all that much either. I think that people still have fond memories of the Razor brand, and that's pretty surprising to me. Yeah, and I, I think had the price of this rehashed foldable not been so astronomical and had you know the shortcomings been not so visible, and part of the problem is that that gosh darn Samsung, I mean, they just made a much better phone at basically the exact same time. So I feel bad for Motorola. But in, in theory, had they stood by themselves in that market, it's actually not a bad phone. And and I don't know if you remember the hype around this new razor, the foldable razor was really big. And so people definitely have an affinity for that name. And so many people, you know, have one and have good memories and experiences of them that they kind of just stand through time. I, mine was like the Nokia's where you could just, I had the V3. I remember, you know, kids are dumb. I was dumb. In junior high school, we would like, toss our phones up as high as we could and then let them land on the ground <laughs> like on the grass and the battery door would pop off and the battery would explode out of the back of the phone but the phones never broke they were bulletproof <laughs> yeah we're awesome try that today with an iphone 12 pro max mm, don't though don't 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 do that yeah it, it's so interesting i think it goes back to how we opened the episode is that this was the first cool phone and it was... It really was. I think it was the first time besides the iPod that a tech product became a fashion product. You know, Apple's doing that with the iPod. I don't think Motorola set out to replicate that, but I think that's. I think they fell into it. Yeah. And I think the iPhone became that, but I don't think that it was initially, really. I don't either. Um, I think it maybe took into like the iPhone 4 or somewhere around there before yeah. having the newest iPhone was like a big deal. And you could, you know, start to pick your color a little bit or, you know, accessorize it. But Motorola, you know, they were struggling. They built this phone and it really did just take off. And in a way, we still live in the world the Razor created, right? Because phones are judged on how thin and light they are, right? Every, every keynote by Apple or Samsung or OnePlus or whoever thinness and lightness are valued. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of that has to do with what the Razor tapped into 20 years ago. I agree. And and while we don't think of Motorola at kind of the forefront of smartphones anymore, they're still making pretty great budget phones. And uh, they're still very much around. Kind Well, kind of. Not really as the same entity that they once were. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the, the Motorola name lives on and the devices attached to the name are, are not bad at all. And hopefully, you know, we keep seeing stuff from Motorola. I'd love to see a Razer 2. Oh, wait, no. Razer 3? Razer V5. Razer V2 3. Razer Flip V2.5. <laughs> if you want to learn more... <laughs> about the Motorola Razor. We have a bunch of stuff in the show notes for you. You can check them out in your podcast player. They're also on the web at relay.fm slash flashback slash 15. There you get in touch with feedback or follow-up, or you can find us on Twitter. Uh, if you've got an old tech product that you'd like us to cover, uh, hit us up. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as ISMH, and I host a bunch of other shows here on Relay FM. Quinn, where can people find you? You can find me at SnazzyQ on social media and at youtube.com slash snazzy. Before we let you go, uh, I'd like to tell you about a another show here on Relay FM named Parallel. It's hosted by journalist and accessibility expert Shelley Brisbane. 
Parallel is a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles that you can listen to by going to relay.fm slash parallel or source parallel wherever you get your podcast. I'd like to thank Fortnite from Epic Games for sponsoring this episode of Flashback. And until next time, Quinn, say goodbye. See you later. Bye, y'all.